This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. I thought that was going to be a lot easier in the second, but it <laughs> wasn't as... Thank you all so much. Uh, we love you. It is our privilege um, to, to be your pastors. My wife wasn't here in the first service, but as my dad said to me between services, is who finds a wife finds a good thing. And I just want to thank my wife for putting up with me uh, for 23 years of marriage and 23 years of ministry. Uh, it is because of her so many awesome things have happened here at the church and in our family's lives. Uh, so I just wanted to thank her. But thank you uh, for all of that. <laughs> So the easiest thing to do right now is to turn in our Bibles. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, we are in the second week of our series that we have called Faith Supplement. Um, Does anyone out there take any vitamins or any supplements of any kind? I know occasionally uh, when my wife reminds me, we take some supplements. And um, if you've ever, you know, ever gone to the doctor, sometimes a doctor will let you know that you are deficient in certain vitamins or nutrients, and so he either prescribed you to change your diet or to add some vitamins or things to um, increase certain levels uh, so that you can be a healthy individual. And the scripture uses this same analogy for us uh, as it relates to our faith. Uh, last Sunday when we kicked off this series, we talked about faith, what faith is. Uh, if you missed that message, you can go back and listen online on our website or through our church app and then also through our podcast just to catch up with us. Uh, but we just laid a foundation um, of what we're talking about for the rest of this series. And as we look at this series, what this is all about, this section of scripture that we're going to read here in Second Peter. Now, Peter was one of the apostles of Jesus, one of his closest disciples. Peter, James, and John were obviously the three closest disciples to Jesus. And Peter is kind of famous for, um, you know, being uh, one of the out there disciples. He Sometimes he would speak, sometimes he would put his foot in his mouth. But, you know, for a few seconds he actually walked on water, uh, different things like that. And so we know who Peter is. And this book of Second Peter is kind of his... Um, swan song, so to speak, that he's getting ready to go be with the Lord. He's getting ready to die. And he writes to the church and he reminds them of some things that are very important. And he's reminding us um, things that are very important as we read these verses. So let's read these together. Second Peter chapter one, verse three says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So as we mentioned last week, that God gives us things that relate to our lives, not things that relate to religion, not things that just relate to Sunday, but he's given us everything that we need for life. In this season of life that you are living right now, whether you're single or married, you don't have children, whether you do have children, whether you're an empty nester, whatever the case may be, that God has what you need for your life. He wants to make provision for you to help you right now in this season. He's giving us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you might become the partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. 
So comparing and contrasting the divine nature of God that we see in Jesus and then the nature, the sinful nature that we see in our lives. Uh, decisions that we've made, things that we've done that have been wrong and then turned out wrong, that sinful desire. But then saying that God has provided something for us in Christ that we can actually be a partaker of God's divine nature, that his divine nature can have an influence on our heart and then it could show up in our lives. Verse 5 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Hence the series. Supplement our faith. What do we supplement our faith with, Peter? We supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brother affection, brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective or unfruitful. And those of us that follow Jesus, we know the scripture tells us that God actually wants us to be fruitful in our lives. He wants to wants us to be producing with what gifts and talents he's placed on the inside of us. He actually wants us to produce something good in our lives. But the scripture is telling us here that even though we know Jesus, if we don't add these things to our faith, that we're going to be ineffective or unfruitful. But none of us would want to do that. None of us would want to say, yes, I know Jesus. Yes, my destiny is with God in heaven. But the life that I'm living right now doesn't actually mean something, isn't that important. I'm kind of ineffective in what I'm doing. No, God wants us to be effective. He wants us to be fruitful. And Peter's telling us, here's what we need to do. You have your faith in Christ. You need to add these attributes to your faith in Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, we all the more will be diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. How many of you like that idea? That we would never fall. Now, when we, uh, for the rest of the part of the series, we're going to be focusing on these qualities. And it's always important for us to understand the gospel. We kind of touched on it last week a little bit. But all religion tells us to obey. It tells us if you obey, if you partake of these ceremonies, if you're a part of our group, and then maybe you will experience salvation. Maybe you will experience love and affirmation. But the gospel message is that God affirms us and loves us and gives us salvation. And from that point, we obey. We don't try to obey to put ourselves in God's good graces, to somehow do something, act a certain way, and then offer that to God so that we can receive righteousness. No, we receive righteousness from day one, and then we obey because we are loved, and because we are affirmed, and because God has sent Jesus to die for us to experience salvation. And then the life that we live is empowered by the Spirit of God to help us to live the way he wants us to live. Because the reality is that your life is important. The life that you live from now to the day that you die, the day that you go on to be with the Lord, is an important period of time, however long it is. If you're a teenager here, it's a long, long time. If you're a little bit older, it might be a little bit shorter. But however many days we have left, those days are important. And God wants us to be fruitful 
and effective. And ultimately, we want to be fruitful and effective. We want to live a life of meeting. We want to live a life of influence because really God has called all of us who are Christ followers to live an influential life. Why? Because the Spirit of God is helping us and empowering us. And we do all of these things from a place of love and acceptance. We obey and we follow after Jesus because he has loved and accepted us and because he has given us a relationship with him by grace. So everything we talk about in the next part of this series is from this place, this place of love, this place of acceptance, this place of grace. We're not going to talk about all these things so that we can somehow achieve something, but we've already achieved something because Jesus has achieved something. And so we live empowered by the Spirit of God to do all of these things that we're going to be talking about. And the first one that we see here is virtue, that God wants us to live an effective life. And one of the ways that we can live an effective life is that we're going to live a virtuous life. But let's read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It says this, For God who said, let, us, let the light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasures, this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So God has given us this wonderful relationship that we experience by putting our faith in him. And then the life of faith that we're living, the scripture says that we are living it in jars of clay. In other words, sometimes they break and also they are moldable. And God wants us to mold our lives into the image of Christ. And so these things that we're talking about, these things that we're going to be discussing starting out today with virtue, that God wants us to mold our lives into the image of Christ. And obviously one of those things that we see in Jesus is that he was Virtuous. What does it mean to be virtuous? It just means to have excellence of character. Someone who's a virtuous person, maybe somebody you could think about, probably your mom, uh, is, is a virtuous person. They have excellent character. And this is the first thing that Peter describes to us. We're living this life of faith, but God wants us to add virtue, this excellence of character, to our life of faith. Now, let me say again. Having excellence of character does not make you righteous with God. It only comes as a gift. And so when we want to live out this life of excellence of character, God empowers us by his spirit. He gives us grace to help us to live out a life of excellent character. First Peter chapter 2 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what does Peter say here to people who are followers of Jesus? You know, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we are very excited about what we believe. We believe certain things about Jesus. We believe things about the Bible. We believe things about the Holy Spirit. We believe things about what God does in our lives. And a lot of times Christians become competitive and this is what denominations are all about and one denomination says i believe this better than that group and another denomination says i believe that better than this other group but what peter is telling us here in these verses that it isn't our beliefs that make us better it isn't our beliefs that uh, cause us to be in the image of christ it is doing good things 
It's the good that God has done for us in salvation being reflected out in our lives, just resulting in just plain old being a good person. And that's what a virtuous person is because your life of faith can be ineffective if we decide not to have excellence of character. Now, we know if, you, if you've been in church once again, you, there are famous Christians who have done things outside of what we would say is good character. And then their testimony or people look bad at the whole church or people look bad at Christianity because somebody who says, I follow Jesus, has messed up their life. Does anyone remember somebody like that? Maybe you know somebody like that. But the scripture is telling us here, what are we supposed to be doing? Not just say, I have good beliefs. I believe this, and so I'm good, and I believe this, so I'm better than that person. No, that people would see our good deeds and glorify God. That we would see in us that God would actually be doing something in our lives that would show up in virtue. Now, uh, let me give you another definition of virtue. A disposition or a character trait that itself is excellent or good. Um, Someone who is virtuous will... um, show excellencies that foster human flourishing. You like that phrase? Human flourishing. That we all know and we've seen people as we've just described. Sometimes, whether they follow Jesus or not, people who uh, get involved with certain things, that they mess up their life. They mess up their family's life. What do we call those things? Vices. Talking about virtues and vices. And if you think about a TV shows, there's a bunch of TV shows named after Vice. Have you ever heard these shows? There's Vice Squad, and there's Miami Vice, and then there's a plain old show called Vice. And what are these shows all about? These shows are all about people who are getting caught up in extreme damaging behavior. And what do we think about these people who are on Vice Squad or Miami Vice? We need to lock them up, Right? We need to put them away because they're just so caught up in vices and we just, they just, we just need to protect ourselves from these people with vices. But ultimately, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we struggle with vices as well. But God doesn't want us to live a life just filled with vices. He has actually separated us from our sin and calls us to a different type of life. Why? Why does God call us to a different type of life? Why does God call us to a virtuous life, a life of moral character, so that we can somehow be more righteous than someone else? No, he's already achieved righteousness for us. But he wants us to live an effective life. He wants, to live, he wants us to live a life of meaning in our families, in our homes, in the context of our job, in, in our neighborhoods. When we live a virtuous life, it actually makes a difference. And we know people have expectations on Christians, don't they? To act a certain way. And a lot of times it's actually a misunderstanding of actually what a Christian is because a Christian is, 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 a, per, is a Christian because of grace, not because they have moral perfection. My, my family and I were in um, Buffalo right before school started so we could do some shopping so we could spend extra money because of the exchange. It's a great idea. But one of the shows that we, uh, one of the shows, one of the stores that we went to uh, that my family wanted to go to was Hobby Lobby. 
Now, if you're not familiar with Hobby Lobby, it's like Michael's on steroids, all right? And I don't know why anyone in their right mind wants to go to Hobby Lobby, but my family does. And so I will go trying to be a good husband, trying to be a virtuous husband. I will take my family to Hobby Lobby. And so we're there in Hobby Lobby and I'm like 30 seconds in. I'm like, I can't stand it anymore. And so I'm like, there's got to be like a sporting goods store or something nearby in this mall. So I walked like Walmart and then I hung out in the TV section for a while and just stared at large screen TVs. Anyone ever do this? This is fun. (laughs) When my wife is doing something, I'm just going to go to the TV section. So I'm there for about 45 minutes and I'm thinking, surely this is enough time to be completed in Hobby Lobby because who can spend 45 minutes in Hobby Lobby and not go crazy? So I go back to Hobby Lobby. They haven't even finished half of the store, people. I'm like, I can't stand it. I got to go find some free Wi-Fi somewhere. I go on my phone because this is just not a good situation for me. So we finally get done in Hobby Lobby. I don't know what we had, decorations, whatever. Anyway, in Hobby Lobby, it's kind of a Christian store. And what it means, what a Christian store means, stores actually can't be Christians. But (laughs) what is in this store is like frames of like scriptures with like flowers and stuff. You know what I'm saying? And like verses everywhere. And they've got uh, DVDs of Christian movies, which generally aren't good. But um, so there is like a Christian store. So we're checking out. And this lady in front of us, she has found some sort of. Hobby Lobby coupon, something I would never search for, but she's found like a Hobby Lobby online coupon and the, the, the register lady is not helping her find this coupon. She's like, I know that it's somewhere on your website and the lady's kind of like, well, I can't give you the coupon if you, you can't find it. And then, you know, the ladies, the, the customer is getting a little bit agitated and then she brings out this statement and this is a Christian store and you're supposed to be a Christian. And in that moment, I actually wanted to preach a sermon. <laughs> First of all, I'm like, there's no such a thing as a Christian store, okay? American people, I don't know what's wrong with them. <laughs> and the second thing is, this woman giving you the coupon or not doesn't make her a Christian. Christianity is all about the grace of God. But that said... There are expectations on the life of people who say they follow Jesus. And they just aren't imposed on us from the world. It is actually something from the scripture that God actually wants us to live a certain way. Because your life of faith can be wasted if we don't live and learn how to live a virtuous life. Once again, not to make us righteous, but empowered by the spirit so that we can live an effective life. My parents know people, and my wife and I know people that we went to Bible school with that follow Jesus, and they're going to end up uh, with us in eternity, you know, in heaven with Jesus. But they, at this point, they have really messed up their lives. They didn't live a life of excellence of character, and, and this happened, and this happened, and this went on, and then they messed up their marriage, and then they lost their jobs, and they threw their life away Because of certain activity. And this is what Peter wants us to be protected from. He doesn't want us just to say, yes, we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. But the life, the days that we have left before we die, he wants those to be important. He wants those to be valuable to the people 
around you. And one of those ways that we're going to do that is we are going to live a virtuous life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Everybody say good work. See, this is what God is training us to do as we spend time in the word of God, as we spend time at church and we're learning. What is God doing? He is retraining our minds. So we don't just give our lives to a bunch of vices. We don't just throw our lives away by the bunch of activity that just wastes our lives, hurts our families, hurts our future. That's what sin is. See, God is not mad at sin because he's some sort of cosmic killjoy and he doesn't want you to have any fun. He doesn't want you to sin because he doesn't want to mess, doesn't want you to mess up your life. He loves you. So he doesn't want you to sin because he doesn't want you to mess up your life because sin messes up your life. Sin messes up the life of your family. So he calls you to something else. And then he's retraining us with the word of God so that we can live a virtuous life. We can live a Christ-like Christ -like life following after Jesus. Obviously, Jesus had moral excellence, excellence of character. The scripture compares and contrasts over and over again in the book of Proverbs these virtues and vices. If you ever read the book of Proverbs, you'll see this over and over again. Here's one example. Proverbs 15, verse 19. It says, The way of people who don't want to work is blocked with thorns. In other words, lazy people, what is it they're going to, their way is going to be blocked. And we all know this. We know this to be true. No one wants to train a lazy child. No one says, you know, I've really got a goal for my child. That they would just be lazy. That they would just lay around all of the time. No, why? That's, that's a vice. It's a waste of a life. What is the virtuous way to live? But the path of honest people is a wide road. So I don't want my child to be lazy, but I do want my child to be honest. Why? Because that's a virtuous way to live. It actually produces Good repercussions. See, we all know that actions have reactions, right? We learned this in school. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. The same is the, true with the life that we live. The things that we do, the choices that we make, they have repercussions. They, sent out, they send out ripples in our lives. And we can choose good or we can choose something else. Can you remember a time in your life where you'd made a good choice and it made a good impact? Doesn't that put a smile on your face? Don't you think about yourself, that's the best version of me when I do that. But then you also remember a time where you said something stupid, where you did the wrong thing, where you made a wrong choice. Both of those things have repercussions. But we want to have good repercussions in our lives, don't we? We want to create good ripples in our lives and in our family's life. This is why God calls us to a life of virtue, not so that we can achieve righteousness because he's given us righteousness. But a life of virtue is more effective and more fruitful than a life filled with vices. 
Let's turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And this is how the Apostle Paul puts across this same idea. Verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Things like these. So Paul's like, I'm kind of tired of this list. So I'm, let me just say, and everything else like this. And ultimately, we know, we would agree with this, even if we're not a Christian. Activity, behavior like this that takes um, our desires to the nth degree, at the end of that path, ultimately is going to be destruction. It's going to destroy me. It's going to destroy my relationships. It's going to destroy my life. So Paul is saying, this is just something that you're just giving into your flesh if we're going to act like this. But then he continues on. And then he says this. That those who do such thing will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's just pause for a second. A lot of times when we read this, uh, people will insert the phrase here, and they don't necessarily do it on purpose, but they're just in the phrase. Uh, people who do this stuff will not inherit the kingdom of God. People say in their minds, won't go to heaven when you die. That's not what this means. Because not doing these things described in this list doesn't make you righteous. Only Jesus makes us righteous. So what Paul is saying, when we live a life like this, we are not inheriting, we're not walking in the God kingdom way of life. The kingdom of God is God's way of doing things. So Paul is saying, if we live a life life like this, we're just wasting life. And you know people that have wasted their life on one or a few of those things, just a waste of a life. We're not inheriting the kingdom of God. We're not walking in the kingdom of God. We're not walking in kingdom ways if we live in these extremes. But then what does he say? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There is no limit to a virtuous life. No one will ever say to you, stop loving me so much. Stop sacrificing for me. Stop being so joyful. Stop having so much peace that's just producing peace. No one will ever say that to you. There will never be a TV show called Miami Virtues. Driving around the streets of Miami, Don Johnson, Tubbs and Crockett. Driving around Miami, stopping people from doing good things. Why? Because we all know, Christian or no, that good things, when we act a certain way, it produces good results. This is what God is calling us to. Don't waste your life on sin. Don't waste your life on extreme living. Well, you can try it if you want. We'll, We'll see how long you last. There's been people before you, though, that have tried it, and they've all come back. And they're generally in a rock band. I mean, don't listen to me. Just watch any testimony of any rock and roller from the 80s. Seriously. They got their long hair and like, yeah, we're in the 80s. We were so drunk all the time. But then I got, you know, now I got sober and life is so much better. Don't listen to me. Listen to Axl Rose or something. You know what I mean? 
These are things that we already know. There's no limit to a virtuous life. See, and he says, against such things, things like this. So this isn't even an exhaustive list. A life of excellence produces excellence for us. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So once again, all of this that we're doing, love, joy, peace, all of these things, these virtuous ways to live, we're not doing it to get righteousness from God. We are doing it empowered by the Spirit. We're doing it by God's grace. We're not doing it in our own strength because we need God's strength because otherwise we just give in to the flesh all of the time. We give in to our vices. We give in to our struggles. Then we produce these things that we don't actually want in our lives. Last story in Ruth chapter 1. Let's read about this. Now this story in Ruth is about this family. And it starts out telling us about a husband and wife named uh, Naomi and Elimelech. And they lived in Judah. And Judah was experiencing drought and famine. So they moved to Moab because they think, well, there's got to be some crops there in Moab. So we're going to leave Judah. We're going to go over there. And hopefully we'll find something to eat. But let's read about this thing that happens to Naomi's family. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. This is not a good start to the story. For Naomi, is it? So she went to Moab hoping to find some food, hoping to find something better for, for her family, and her husband dies right away. So she was left with her two sons. They got married to two women from Moab. One was named Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. The other was named Ruth. Naomi's family lived in Moab for about 10 years. Then Malon and Kilion also died. These were Naomi's sons. So they show up in Moab, her husband dies, they're there for about 10 more years, and then both of her sons die. How many know this is a terrible situation for Naomi? Verse 6, while Naomi was in Moab, she heard that the Lord had helped his people and had begun to provide food for them again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to go from Moab back to her home. She left the place where she had been living. Her two daughters-in-law went with her. They started out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Verse 8, Naomi spoke to her two daughters. Both of you go back, she said. Each of you go to your own mother's home. You were so kind to your husbands who have died. You have also been so kind to me. So may the Lord be just as kind to you. May he help each of you find a secure place in the home of another husband. May he give you peace and rest. Then she then kissed them goodbye. They broke down and sobbed loudly. These three women have been through a very difficult time. All three of them lost their husband. And Naomi's saying to these two girls, you know, just go, just go back to your mother's house. Don't, don't come with me to Judah. Maybe you'll find another husband. Don't come back with me. They said to her, we will go back with you. We will go back to your people with you. But Naomi said, go home, my daughters. Why would you want to come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Go home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Suppose, suppose I thought there was still some hope for me. Suppose I got married to a man tonight and later I had sons by him. Would you wait until they grow up? 
Would you stay single until you could get married to them? No, my daughters, my life is more bitter than yours. The Lord's powerful hand is against me, or so she thought. Verse 14. When they heard that, they broke down and sobbed again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth held on to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't try to make me leave and go back. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there my body will be buried. I won't let I won't let anything except death separate you from me. If I do, may the Lord punish me greatly. Naomi realized that Ruth made up her mind to go with her. So she stopped trying to make her go back. So here is Ruth making a decision based on a commitment, not a feeling. And this is what a life of faith is. This is what a life of virtue is all about. It would just be easy for Ruth to go and say, yeah, I'll just go back to my mom's house. But she's making this choice. She's making this virtuous choice where it seems really difficult. It seems really hard in the moment. But what do we know about Ruth's destiny? That she ended up in the lineage of Jesus that we would read about in the book of Matthew. And she became King David's great-grandmother. Ruth ended up marrying Boaz, part of the royal family in Israel. And then she had a great end. But in this moment, she made this virtuous choice that actually seemed like a really difficult decision when there was no feelings, no good feelings associated with making this decision. But it was the right decision. To sometimes sacrifice what might seem like this really good for me. Well, what's in it for me in this moment? What's in it for me? Is it going to make me feel good? No, but it's the right decision. I, I give this humorous illustration. Um, if you ever, you know, parents, if you ever have a birthday party for your kids, generally there's cake involved. And if you ever have one of these tough, tough life decisions, you'll, your wife will hand you the last two pieces of cake. And you'll look down at these pieces of cake and there's, you're giving one piece of cake to your child and the other piece of cake is for you. And you look down and one piece is bigger than the other. What do you do? It's kind of a silly illustration. But this is what life is like. There's obviously way bigger things, but the decision is the same. What are we doing in those moments when we have to make an excellent choice? That I'm just going to make this choice for the moment, or am I going to make a choice that's going to make a difference for the long run? Am I going to make a virtuous choice that doesn't damage my family, doesn't damage my relationships? Now, once again, we're all going to fail at some point with these choices. And thank God for his forgiveness. He doesn't condemn us. He calls us forward again when we mess up. 
But as we stare down at those two pieces of cake in life, what are we going to choose? See, the virtuous choice always pays off in the end. In the moment, it feels like sacrifice. In the moment, it's tough. In the moment, it might feel like suffering, that I'm actually going to put down some of my immediate desires, but I'm going to make the virtuous choice. The virtuous choice pays off in the long run. And that's what we see in the life of Ruth. She didn't base it on her feelings. She made it, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to stay with Naomi. And then God made it work out for her in the end. She didn't take the shortcut. But she made a virtuous choice. See, this is what a life of faith is all about. A life of faith isn't just based on feelings. Well, what do I feel today? And what what should I do today based on my feelings? Because if you're going to live like that, you're going to be up and you're going to be down. You're going to make good choices. You're going to make bad choices, all based on feelings. But when we're living a life of faith, Peter is telling us to add virtue to your faith. That we would add excellence of character to this wonderful relationship that we have with God. He's empowering us. He's helping us to make those good choices that are sometimes tough choices, but they pay off in the end. You know, today is Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And, you know, I've only been pastoring for 23 years. My, my dad and my mom, they've been pastoring and been a part of church leadership for 55 years. The, the best pastor in the room is actually my dad. You know, he made choices as it relates to his leadership here where 27 years ago, he could have just walked away from leadership here when it was tough and there was debt and there was difficulties and there was nobody giving. And this church wouldn't be here if my dad made the easy choice. But he made the choice, a virtuous choice, a choice that takes some character, a choice that says, I'm going to decide this even if it doesn't feel good because I know that it's the right thing to do and that it's going to pay off in the end. And there's so many ways that we can apply that in our lives. Last verse. Psalm 15, verse 4, the second part says, He keeps his promises even when it hurts. This is such a great way to think about good choices sometimes. Sometimes good choices, they kind of feel like they're painful in the short run. But in the long run, they pay off. And they create good ripples for your friends and for your family and for your kids. Because we all know that our choices have repercussions. Our choices create ripples. Don't we want them to be good ripples? Ultimately, we do. And this is why Peter says to us, add virtue to your faith. Let's just pray this morning. God, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, for everyone in the room today. God, I thank you that everybody sees their life as important and valuable. That every day that they live from now until they go to be with you is important. And for all the decisions, Lord, that we have to make going forward, even this week, God, we pray that you help us make the virtuous choice.
that you help us to make the choice that goes along with excellent character. God, we resist our flesh. And we, would, we want to say yes to your spirit. We want to say yes to the things that you're leading and guiding us to. We thank you, Lord, for your help in all of these areas. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.